Thank you for the reading, Laura, and we're continuing in the Scripture, reading right through the Gospel of Luke, and I won't say that I'm capturing every verse as we go, but pretty much every major story we've been covering, sort of uh, inch by inch, and I hope that's okay. There was an old Missouri farmer who had some waste ground down by the creek, And he wanted to make something out of it. It had never really been something that had been farmed. And so he spent some days cutting away the brush and picking up stones and getting the rocks off of it and and just cleaning up the debris and trying to prepare it. And finally he got it ready after a few weeks of work. And he planted it and it grew and it was just this beautiful garden. And so he went to church the following Sunday, and he said, you know, I want my preacher to see this. So he brought the preacher down to see how things were going, and the preacher looked at it and said, wow, praise the Lord, look at those tomatoes. And he said, that corn, it's growing up so tall, and the beans look wonderful. The Lord knows what He's doing. The Lord has really blessed you. And finally, through all this, the farmer was feeling just a little bit fidgety. And he speaks up and he said, Preacher, you should have seen it when the Lord was doing it by himself. (laughs) And I believe that for each one of us, if we could kind of personalize that for just a minute, it is difficult at times to understand where our work ends and the Lord's work begins, or where the Lord's work ends and our work begins amidst all of life's complexities. In other words, determining what is our job or our role and what is God's job can sometimes be confusing. Now, the disciples, as we've been going through this text, we noted at the beginning of the chapter that they were sent out by Jesus' power and authority to do some good things, some healings and some exorcisms and some, and some teach about the kingdom of God, and they're ready to report back to Jesus. And I suspect that they were all abuzz because of their outreach and the healings and things that, they, that had happened and how they'd been received and how they'd been rejected and what good had they, they had done. And they're ready to process all of this with Jesus. So, in fact, Jesus says, why don't we withdraw a bit and talk about it? And they expected at that point then to rest, but the crowd finds them. And the crowd keeps coming. And it's interesting in our text that Jesus doesn't at that point then turn the crowds away. Rather, his compassion for the crowd is striking. And, and, and he says, and when the crowd finds him, Jesus goes back to work in his ministry of healing and preaching about the kingdom of God. But as evening comes, they're in this isolated place. And as far as I know, there was no jack-in-the-box. And there was no Chick-fil-A nearby or Sonic to call on, and plus, no DoorDash, Grubhub, or Uber Eats. 
No fast food delivery and no slow food delivery. And so Jesus, even though the disciples were just trying to get away a bit and process all that had gone on, Jesus says to them in verse 13, you give them something to eat. In other words, you guys do it. This is your work. And I think they would have said, what? I think surprised with a challenge, but immediately knowing that the challenge seemed to far exceed their ability. And you can see this in their response, because the text goes on to say, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And then the Bible goes on to say, for there were 5,000 men which meant adding in women and children many, many more times than that, maybe ten or 15,000 in total. That's a big crowd. That's a lot of people to feed. I was trying to think of a venue that served food to thousands all at the same time. And you've, maybe you've been to a conference where there's a whole lot of Chick-fil-A boxes that are set up out in the lobby, or maybe they're passed along by some, some uh, organizers or where they served it that way. For some reason, the first one that came to mind for me was uh, the Dolly Parton Stampede Dinner. It's a show in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and I was so impressed because I think maybe it was the first time where they served dinner. Uh, while you're, you're getting ready for this uh, show, and the show goes on, and they serve you this very nice dinner in this arena. So I Googled it to find out how big the arena was, because we're watching all these horses and all this and that, and it's been a long time, and I don't remember even what the show looked like. It's been 20-some years ago that, that we probably went to this. Well, the arena holds 1,100. I was a little disappointed by its size when I thought about it that way relative to the size of this crowd. But here's the thing. Does it matter if it was 50 or 5 million? The job is too big for the disciples by themselves. In other words, to use our analogy of the bottom ground that was cleared by the farmer, there's too much ground to clear. So what are the disciples thinking at this moment? And I could come up with some descriptions. I'd love to hear what yours are. I, the ones I came up with were overwhelmed, unable, inadequate, ill-equipped, A thoroughly hopeless situation. And of course, it's not the first time that the Lord's people have been over their heads. That seems to actually be a storyline of Scripture. 
One parallel is, of course, the children of Israel, when more than somewhere between a half a million and a couple of million people are wandering in the desert. And you might remember the text in Exodus 16 says something like this, in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And it's an interesting parallel to this 5,000 who are also in the desert. It's little wonder that Moses cries out in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 14 and says this, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And then you remember how the Lord provided. One point he provides water, at another point he provides manna from heaven, he provides quail beyond measure. But all of that is lost on the disciples at the moment. You see, they forgot the story, their story of Scripture. And so Jesus gives them this impossible command, and at this point, I suspect there's just this awkward pause. The disciples look at Jesus, then they look at the crowds, then they look at themselves, and they have no answers. And sometimes our own level of inadequacy just stares us in the face. A lot of times because we've done it to ourselves, and that's why we're here, and so we beat ourselves up. Sometimes we're the victims of circumstances that seem beyond our control. In this case, interesting. While the need was there, it's Jesus Himself who throws the disciples into the deep end and tells them to swim. Now, the disciples' best response in the moment is to describe what they see. And so they go on and they say, but we only have these five loaves and bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go buy enough food for this whole crowd? And then Jesus says to them to sit down in groups of about 50. And the text says, so all the people sat down. In other words... Get ready for dinner, people. And then Jesus offers this prayer, and he took the five loaves and two fishes, and he looked up to heaven, and he blessed them, and then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples and so they could distribute it to the people. I like this idea of him pronouncing this blessing. How many have seen The Chosen? Anybody watching that? Watched part of that? 
I want to encourage you to watch it. In fact, I want to see if I can figure out how to incorporate it into this series on the Gospel of Luke, because in our huddle group on Thursday mornings, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we've just tried to stay a week or two, if we can, ahead of the sermon series. So it's kind of helped me to think about what is important to our huddle group as we're discovering the Scripture again together, and to talk about that. And every week... Somebody in our group says, well, I saw it this way in The Chosen. Well, I never really quite understood that until I watched The Chosen. And every week we're referencing this because it's done so well, unlike a lot of Christian stuff that's on video, okay, just go ahead and admit that, it's done so well that it prompts you to think about the story in a a different way. But in the chosen, there is this Jewish blessing, and it goes like this, Blessed art thou, eternal God, our Father, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. How fitting that Jewish blessing would have been right at this moment in the feeding of the 5,000. And then I noticed something else about our text. You remember how often Jesus has said or, the, or Luke has said about Jesus or he said about a situation? That's amazing. Amazing. Jesus is amazing. Well, it's interesting it's not here in this. Of anything, of any miracle to this point that would have been amazing, this one is amazing, but we see no Amazing. You can't, can't even tell a miracle has occurred in some sense other than the disciples simply start to hand out the food, and as they start to hand it out, it just keeps coming. It just keeps being provided. It just keeps coming. It never runs out. And some suggest, in fact, that there were two miracles that day. The, the second as, as miraculous as the first. If the first was the fact that the food kept coming, the provider kept providing, it all became, was coming from the source. The second of, after they fed the whole crowd... Verse 17 says they ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. How meaningful that is, both in terms of the number and in the way this all worked out. Because recall at the beginning of the chapter, it was the disciples who had been sent out without a staff, without a bag, without any bread, without any money, without any extra shirt. And now each of those disciples has their own basket of leftovers that they take into their next mission as Jesus the provider has provided again. And I wonder if on that day their perspective began to shift and they made 
as they made these dozens of trips to Jesus to supply this massive crowd, and the food kept coming, back and forth they went, back and forth they went, and they kept distributing, and they went to Jesus, and they found more food, and they handed out the bread and the fish, and, they, and there was all these amazing leftovers, and they had received power and authority just days before, but it did not come from themselves, remember. It came from Jesus. And now they're learning this again. They fed the crowd only as they came to Jesus the provider again and again. Now you feed them. And they do. They are doing the distribution. They are doing the feeding. They've honored now Jesus' requests. But what's so striking about it is that not one of the disciples thought to ask Jesus for his provision. Here's the irony. Though they had no idea how to feed the crowd, they kept on feeding the crowd. I believe this formula is intact even today. Now, this is deep truth. We receive all of life from God. And the life we give is God's life. And 99% of the time, I made up the percentage. We think it's about us. And while the disciples were doing this work and making this effort, Jesus is the source. And while they are distributing, Jesus was supplying. You see, we're the distributors. We don't make the air, we breathe it. We don't create the light, we receive it. We're not the manufacturer, we are the supply chain. He is the maker, we are the distributors. So we've got a question for you. What do you do when your challenges exceed your ability? Now, I'll bet we could survey the room. We have about a thousand ways we could slice and dice that question based on the needs within our realm. And if it's up to us alone, most of us are going to give up. Or maybe fail to try. Or maybe be crushed by the weight of it all. 
On the other hand, rarely is it up to God alone. Because again and again, He uses His people to accomplish His will. It is our partnership with Him that works for our well-being and for the blessing of the world. Jesus is our bread. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our source. And once said and understood, we still must serve and love and use our skills and use our talents and use our faith and step out with our accomplishments to feed the world through the resources that He has has given and will continue to give. So get this. God is not as concerned with your ability as much as you keep thinking that it is. With your ability or your inability as your availability. That slide get in there? I want you to get that one again. We don't want to miss that one. God is not as concerned with your ability or your inability as your availability. This was the outcome. There was one before this, guys, but maybe I didn't put it in there. So here's what I've got to learn. When I operate from my own strength, from my own ability, from my own inability, from my calculations, I want you to hear this. It's not really your strength at all. Even if you think you're relying on yourself, you're not relying on yourself. There is no such thing ultimately as self. All energy, every idea you have, every muscle that belongs to you, every firing of your neurons, everything is ultimately from God the source. All things. This is why Jesus himself could say, I can do nothing by myself apart from my Father. How could the Lord Jesus say that? Except he understood source. And in fact, when he's dying on a cross, was there any moment of greater availability and yet inability than the dying Savior carrying out God's plan in this way? He gave all of his being to the God who is the source of all. Now, I want to tell you, this, is, this, this teaching right here is a whole lot easier for me to preach, and it's not easy to preach, than it is to grasp. And I will move myself, I'll move away from this day and lose track of it. But I want you to hear it, and if you have to go back and listen to it again and think it through again, if I need to put that slide out there, God is not as concerned with your ability or your inability as your availability, because I missed the slide, I'll do that again, because I'm telling you, there's something here. 
There is something here, and if we don't wrestle with it, we will dismiss this miracle as something that, oh, that could po- never possibly happen. That's just the Scripture trying to give us a, a story. Or we will say, it happened back then, but it cannot happen in the same way now. And we will not be able to create a bridge. The bridge is only when we understand that the provision, the source of all of life, is God Himself. And we need to be open to that source. And what God does with it, with His provision, is up to God. And this is what the disciples missed as they looked at 5,000 hungry people. So if you are born with brains, or a brain, but I mean brains like your brainy, or beauty, or abilities, I want you to know 100% those are given by God. And they're on loan to you from God. And every bit of you is a product from the energy source. You can't take credit for nothing. And I know you need to exercise more, and that's a good thing. And you need to eat right. And you may need to train. Maybe some of you need to train to run a race this spring. And maybe some of you need to be lifting more weights or are lifting weights. And it's okay because you're just, you're just moving around what you've got to try to get it a little, bit, a little bit better shape. You're trying to do the same thing with this brain of yours. Some of you, you know, have kind of given up on being the Amazon woman or Superman, or a mass savant, or an NBA star, and I understand that. But here's the bottom line. You're not your own. You, at best, are simply trying to work to manipulate what you have been given. At best, you are remaking the waste ground by the creek. The Scripture says we come from the dirt and the breath from God. We're not the source of our power, of our miracles, of our healings, We are not the source of the loaves. We are not the source of the fishes. This is true if you believe in God, if you are agnostic about God, or if you are an unbeliever this morning. It's still true. It is true whether you are talented and feeling very competent and capable right now or whether you're feeling extremely inadequate. Whether you are overwhelmed or underwhelmed, all things are energy and all things are from God and belong to God and will return to God.
So if we can relate it back to our disciples, will you be one of those who will look again to the source who provides, able or unable, to be available to that true source.